This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. So in this episode, we're talking about how your environment can affect your creativity. And I was really eager to dive into this topic because I am one of the most restless people that I know. Not in my personality, per se. I mean, I consider myself a pretty mellow guy. I'm restless in my creative process. If I'm at my desk for more than an hour, I start to feel my mind going slack. So I move to a more communal area of the office, but then that doesn't do it for me. So then I relocate to a coffee shop, but then that gets too noisy. So then I work from home, but then it's too quiet and I start getting cabin fever. I mean, to be honest, I've always been a little hard on myself about this. I just feel like I'm wasting all this time hopping from place to place to place to place, and I just feel like it shouldn't matter where I'm working. I should be able to get the job done regardless. But in researching this topic, I suddenly felt a little less of a hot mess because Kurt Lewin, who many believe to be the father of modern social psychology, created the formula B equals FPE, which basically breaks down to behavior B is the function F of the person P interacting with her or his environment, E. That is to say, our behavior, including how we function at work, is directly related to our environment. But the question remains, why is our environment so capable of disrupting the creative process? Because new ideas arise from an interconnection of old ideas. So that, that means at the very least, you have to be exposed to a, a novel stimulus, or a combination of stimuli that in a combination you've never seen before. That's Dr. Robert Epstein, a senior research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research. Dr. Epstein has been studying creativity for almost 40 years, and in the early 80s, he introduced his generativity theory, which suggests that creativity is not something you're born with necessarily, but a skill that can be learned through four basic strategies. Number one, challenging, putting yourself in situations where you don't know what to do. Number two, broadening, that is expanding your skill set. Number three, capturing, which is writing down your ideas as they come to you. And yes, you guessed it, number four, surrounding, putting yourself in an ideal environment for creativity. It gets you thinking thoughts and combinations uh, that you've never experienced before. It's those interconnections among uh, different ideas, that's where new ideas come from. And your environment, you know, helps to create those interconnections. So many years ago, I formulated a a theory called generativity theory. And generativity theory basically explains where novel behavior comes from, where new ideas come from. And it can be expressed in uh, mathematically, can be used to to simulate creativity on a computer. Uh, And again, it's, it turns out the process, although it feels kind of crazy and chaotic and and uncomfortable as well, Um, you know, it's actually uh, orderly and predictable and extremely valuable. So static environments, no good. Uh, Environments in which there's no challenge, no no real change, no good. Uh, And we do have control to some extent over this entire process. Right. And, you know, speaking when you when you mentioned uh, it being sort of an orderly process that made me think of this kind of switching gears a little bit, but to this this idea that 
your if your space is cluttered, then that must mean that you're going to be scatterbrained. That's something that my mom always used to tell me all the time. Like <laughs> yeah. if your room is cluttered, yeah. then that means you know you're going to be scatterbrained. And I'm just wondering now that I now that I'm talking to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. No offense, mom. Is there any validity to that? Is there any 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 science that says that if I have like a cluttered desk, which my desk is not the neatest it could be, <laughs> does that impair yeah. my creative process in any way? No, it's good for the creative process, but Boom. there is a but. Damn it. Okay. Mom, is partially, <laughs> Mom is partially right. All right. So if you surround yourself with chaos mm-hmm. you, and, and deliberately or accidentally or through lack of, of uh, organizational skills, uh, you know, there's chaos around you everywhere. Uh, that's probably good for creativity. Right. But remember, it has to keep changing, too. Okay? True. Sometimes people are in chaotic environments. Uh, which never changed. They yeah. have piles of junk and piles of junk and piles of junk and the piles never change. Right. That's no good. But if you're in a chaotic environment that keeps changing, uh, that's good for creativity. So you, you can put yourself into novel environments or you can make an existing environment more and more novel and you can keep changing it over time. So for a lot of people, it's the, the three B's. That's pretty classic. You know the three B's? No. What is that? Oh, they're the bed. The bath and the bus. Oh, I was about to say the beyond. Just kidding. The bed and the bed. I mean, there there's so many famous cases uh, documented in which you know people had spectacular ideas that literally changed art or mm-hmm. changed science. Thomas Edison used a technique that could be done at once at one's desk. Uh, wouldn't attract that much attention. Uh, he would hold on to a, a a steel ball in one hand, and on the floor he had a like a think of it like a big metal bowl or hmm. pot or container, and he would relax, literally just relax, until he's just drifting off to sleep. See, so he's not asleep, he's not <laughs> sleeping on the job. He's he's just drifting off to sleep. At that point, of course, the hand relaxes, releases the metal ball, which drops into the 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 bowl below right. and makes a big noise at which point he's startled you know and comes <laughs> back to full alertness but at that point he tries to grab onto whatever was going through his head because he's deliberately put himself into the hypnagogic state uh the bath is another one so that of course means the shower or the bathtub uh, showers work great and you know why it's because because of they create the illusion of privacy hmm so you're not you're not you're not actually cut off from the world. If you start singing in the shower, anyone outside the bathroom can hear you singing <laughs> right. perfectly, but you can't hear them hmm. because you're you're the noise source, which is just creating a very very loud kind of pink noise that just obliterates all other sound. Uh, so you have the illusion of privacy, and that for a lot of people that lets ideas flow. Just having the illusion of privacy. Um, the bus means you're, you know, you're seeing things out the window you've never seen before. You're seeing people you've never seen before, and of course, there also might be someone there you have a new conversation with that you've never had before because this person is a total stranger. So, surrounded by strangers, uh, uh, exposed to changing visual stimuli out the window. So, what we've learned so far from Dr. Epstein is that changing your surroundings is great for creativity. 
It's about exposing yourself to new stimuli to create new connections in your mind that you wouldn't get from a static setting. But what if you don't have the luxury of being able to work anywhere but your office? Also, those three B's Dr. Epstein referred to are great and all, but it seems more like taking advantage of creative opportunities on your way to work. I mean, I don't quite see a scenario where you'd be able to almost fall asleep at your desk like Thomas Edison or just pop into a shower on your lunch break to ideate. So how can we improve our immediate surroundings at work to maximize our creativity? Also, is it really that simple or is there more to consider than just whether or not you're at your desk? More on that after the break. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Hey, welcome back. So we're still unpacking the relationship between our creativity and our environment. And so far we've learned that your same old surroundings can crush your creativity. Here's Dr. Epstein again. It means looking around at your environment, figuring out you know what's static and changing it. And then getting into a habit of making uh, regular changes in your environment. Right. And that could be as simple as, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of, could this, could just changing your environment be as simple as like, I don't know, having, uh, putting flowers on your desk or having new decor or something like, is it, is it, can it be as simple as that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, the enemy is, is whatever is static. That's the enemy. So just making changes, sometimes very small changes, uh, can make a huge difference. Right. Uh, I, I like to, uh, you know, if I find something that's that's weird and unusual, uh, for example, a strange looking rock, uh-huh. I sometimes just put it on my desk huh. because it's different, it's unusual, it's interesting to look at. Right. And you never know what's going to happen when you take control over your physical and your social environment uh, and you introduce some changes and you introduce some novelty. Uh, you just never know what's going to happen. The classic example of that is uh, bringing together two friends mm-hmm. who are very different from each other and who've never met. Right. You, you have no idea what's going to happen in that situation. <laughs> okay, so new stimuli can be as simple as changing up your space a little bit, even with a funky-looking rock, apparently. Those small little changes can help make those new and necessary connections in your mind that lead to new thoughts and, bingo, creativity. But... Is there another way to look at all this? I mean, should we be so reliant on the quote-unquote ideal environment to thrive in the creative sense? Not necessarily. I'm Thomas Waddell Waddellspark. Uh, that's the Danish name, so the original pronunciation is quite hopeless. Thomas is a thought leader on creativity. His book, Innovation as Usual, outlines how leaders can create an ecosystem for innovative behaviors to thrive. And, of course, a crucial part of that ecosystem is your environment. But there's something a bit deeper going on. I think it, it's something that everybody intuitively knows that when you are in the right type of environment, that can really help you think differently, uh, think more creatively, get something new done. Um, what's often missing is kind of the more practical side of that, I'd say. Hmm. Um, 
I'm almost tempted to, to throw in here uh, like the extension of that, which is please do. I, uh, yeah. Uh, so so one <laughs> one of the theories that really fascinated me is called extended mind hypothesis. Mm. Uh, so this is uh, sounds heady. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's kind of well, it is. It's slightly surreal in the sense that uh, these these are two uh, researchers, uh, Andy Clark and David Chalmers, who went in and basically argued that when you really think about it, your environment is actually part of your mind. It, it's mm. not like it's not just like some random tools you use to do stuff in a very literal sense it's part of how you think and and, wow. so, and so in some sense the way i like to put it is like when you change your environment it's kind of like doing temporary brain surgery on yourself <laughs> sounds like of, a black mirror episode yeah almost. exactly that's where we're going <laughs> so, so i mean to that logic i mean what i guess like then how should we be thinking about our environment knowing that Everyone's so sensitive to it, and knowing that it's an, it's, it's it's an extension of ourselves. I mean, hmm. how how should we be considering our surroundings and our environments? I I'd say the f- the first question you want to ask is what problem you're trying to solve for, hmm. and with that I mean we talked a bit on creative behaviors earlier, and I think a lot of people think about oh what what's the environment supposed to do for me, and that depending on what's going on in your life or at at work for that matter. I mean, is this about creating more connections to new things? Is it about allowing you to concentrate? Is it about allowing you to move more rapidly with prototyping? Is it about inspiration? Is it about getting better connections to customers or whoever you you work with? Is is it about motivation or engagement? And I think that that's really where you have to start. You have to go in and look at your workplace and say, what am I missing the most? Like, Mm. like, what am I doing okay on? And where do I really feel, oh, this is a thing that I could really benefit from, ju- right. from just doing. Hmm. And so if we were thinking in terms of, and again, this episode is uh, just a selfish fulfillment for me. So <laughs> for me, it usually comes down to... That's the best kind. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. For me, it comes down to like a writer's block, just kind of hitting that brick wall of, I can't, not, I just can't think, I can't ideate, I can't, yeah. my mind is just stuck. And so for me, again, like it, it does help whenever I move to the cafe area or if I go to a coffee shop, like it does help to kind of shake things up a bit. But if somebody doesn't have that luxury of being able to kind of yeah. escape, you know, not everyone's fortunate enough to have, you know, a, a pretty flexible work environment and flexible editors that allow them to leave when they can, yeah. <laughs> when they want to. So what can people do to unstick themselves if they're just if they don't if they can't leave their their desk if they can't leave their yeah. their office like they're just stuck i'd say um start with something this is so this is a problem solving strategy that i really love which is called the bright spots approach and mm. the bright spots approach is about going in looking at your relatively recent past and saying was there like one day where i actually felt inspired and what was different about that day hmm. so you know that might have been the day that you sat down f- at uh, had lunch with a different group of people or it might have been the day where you started your day in a different way or worked in a slightly different manner for 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 my part for instance I switched between working on a laptop and then switching to, uh, I have it in front of me here, like a large iPad. I mean, speaking of offices, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think one thing that, you know, leaders and bosses tend to immediately jump to when they want Mm. to create a more uh, creative space is, oh, let's get a foosball table. Let's get like a keg. (laughs) Like, let's get this. And those things have their merits, you know, but I feel it almost feels a little superficial. So when it comes to creating having a creative space and creating those creating those spaces like what should what should people consider like what is it's is there to you a difference between 
mm. a superficial environment yeah. for creativity and yeah. one that's actually authentic and works. So yeah, so I'll, I'll share a story of uh, one of the first instances of somebody who, who really kind of made that work. And what I mean with made that work is taking this, what I think of as the more simple driven, like the football table stuff, mm-hmm. and actually making sure it wasn't empty, that it wasn't just like, oh, like, you know, lipstick on a pig type right. <laughs> kind of thing, right? Uh, so we look good for the recruiting brochures. Um, like it's, uh, so there's a leader I've, I followed in a, uh, you know, 70 people large sales and marketing office. And he kind of arrived at the conclusion that people weren't engaged enough. Like that, the, the big problem, like people were creative, they had the ability, but they weren't really feeling like a, a joint group. And mm-hmm. so he went in and did something pretty interesting. He installed a celebration bell, middle of the office. And the point was that whenever you achieved even a small win, you could go up, you'd ding the bell, People in the office would kind of turn around and like, and you'd make a thirty-second announcement and say, "Hey, we just secured this big sale," and people would clap. And like, now in the beginning, that was like, felt a little forced, uh, mm. and it was mostly the managers who kind of did it. And then after a couple, like a month or something like that, people just started embracing it. And when when the company later, when they had to move into a new building, uh, they asked kind of like, "What do you want to keep from the old office?" And the number one on that list was just the celebration bill. Because that, mm. that was a link between something that, you know, it was a simple, which can be powerful. Right. But it was linked to a behavior that mm. made sense for the office and like for the, for the problem of how do you create a more, you know, a team spirit uh, in the office, right. which was missing. That's yeah. so interesting. So for you, it's about making sure there's something meaningful attached to yeah, I mean, the item or whatever it might be. If, if not, you end up in this situation where like, you have this dreary office, you have one room that's been dedicated, this is a creative room, there's a beanbag, <laughs> like, right. you know, and, and it's just sad. Like you, you see it and you know this is nothing is ever happening in here. Right. <laughs> like, uh, I, I think that's a temptation because of course, when, when you think about a more creative workplace, you know, what, what springs to mind? Well, it is the very colorful Silicon Valley type environment. Mm-hmm. And then you think it's about the, the symbols or the superficial things. Right. Um, I think an important corollary of that is that your office doesn't necessarily have to look super creative. Uh, like, at, at, and that can be a relief, I think, to uh, when I wrote my first book, I looked at a lot of companies that weren't necessarily Silicon Valley-like in their culture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, airline, banks, uh, law firms. That is so interesting to me. Mm. And I mean, I feel like we've touched on it here and there, but I'm curious to know, like, I mean, what are you, cause, I mean, you've obviously studied creativity from so many different angles. And what would you say in this particular context of, you know, creating, having a creative environment and, and making your surroundings more creative? Like, what are the biggest misconceptions that you've come across that people hmm. have? There's a couple, probably. I'd say one of them is to kind of ignore the need to concentrate. There, there's a big focus on, oh, uh, creativity is about, is about creating connections to other people. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's true. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a point at which that goes overboard and you know everybody's sitting in an open office and nobody has like a little bit of mental space to think. Mm. So I, I think that's one of the, at least from the office design uh, kind of perspective, that's over, often overlooked. Uh, and then I'd say, well, this is probably a little bit provocative in the context of, of this conversation, but um, uh, there's a poet, Charles, and an author, Charles Bukowski, uh, who... Uh, oh, some, yes, some, yeah. I know Bukowski. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, provocative <laughs> is the word for yeah, him. Yeah, he is continue. an interesting character. Uh, <laughs> he has a poem that I really like, uh, which is called Air and Light and Time and Space. 
uh, and the first part of that poem goes into like, well, I'm gonna start writing my prize-winning novel. The second I can retire, I'm gonna be sitting at a little lake in Italy. You know, <laughs> you know, it'll be lovely. And then he kind of just talks against that and says, no, listen, if you're really serious about being creative, you're gonna do that while your city is being bombed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, 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 I think you can take his sentiment too far in the sense that, yes, there's a lot of things we can do to tweak our environment in a more creative direction, and we should. But I also often see people using that as a crutch. They're kind of like, oh, no, I can't possibly like write that prize-winning novel before I have a new computer and some screenwriting software that's really mm. expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a point at which you, you a little bit have to, to grit your teeth and say, okay, I don't necessarily need the perfect environment to get this done. And I, I think that's sometimes important to remember. I, I tell myself that yeah. <laughs> as well when I'm when I'm whining about my workload. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's a, that's a really good point. That's a really, really good point. Because often, because like I said, for me, it's, I find myself bouncing from place to place thinking that I need to find the yeah. right place. And some sometimes it does help, but then sometimes, as I also mentioned, I've lost half the day trying to yeah. find that quote unquote <laughs> yeah, yeah. perfect spot. And so, okay, so for in that particular situation, what would you advise me to do when I know my immediate environment isn't working for me, but here I am running to and fro on a subway and I look at the clock and it's already four o'clock and I'm like, my day's gone. What do I do with that situation? I, 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 I'd say, uh, <laughs> I'm not, well, I'm Help sure you, me, you, you, you fixed this before. You, you, I'm sure you have had your like share of kind of panicked one hour churning out perfect article. You know? A day, listen, uh, every day. <laughs> But I'd say it, it partially sounds like you need uh, harsher deadlines and an angry boss. <laughs> <laughs> so let's review. Your environment plays a huge role in your creativity. If you're feeling like you're in a funk, don't sit there and stew in it. Change where you're sitting or get some new decor for your desk. Do something, anything to mix it up a little bit. It might seem like a small gesture, but that's exactly what you need to jumpstart your mind out of a static state. And if you're the leader of a team and you want to take a page out of the playground-like offices of Silicon Valley, it's not a horrible idea, but make sure there's something meaningful attached to all those bells and whistles. Also, keep in mind that you can't rely entirely on your environment to do the work for you. To better map out what your best creative state is, start writing down small details of your most creative days, where you were, who you were with, what you may have been doing, etc. But, and there's always a but, don't fall prey to systemizing your creativity. New scenarios and environments are only effective if they don't wind up becoming a boring routine because you'll just wind up back where you started. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast because we absolutely love hearing your feedback. And be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of Creative Conversation. So I'll see you then.